the most important piece of this puzzle is to set some goals in advance and then place them where you'll see them every day. These things have got to keep you fired up. Just like you brush your teeth every day, your spirit needs to be energized every single day. On this episode of Getting Money Right, we're continuing to go through some of the money questions that we get from you, our listeners. And if you do have some questions that you'd want us to answer in future episodes, please go ahead and contact us through the contact form on leosabo.com, post that question there, or you can leave a comment on the show notes of this episode. David, why don't we start with the first question that we got from our listeners? The first one is, how do I get started on managing money? Oh, that's a great question. It's one that I hear all the time. And it's tough when you're going to first start to put a plan in place. Uh, you know, how how do you just sit down and take the time to build out uh, what we would call the budget? Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got to have that financial plan in place where you just lay out, A, what are some of your aspirations? What are the things that you want? You have a little bit of the goal setting time. But then you've got to do a little bit of history and a little bit of tracking. And you've got to dig into the numbers and say, okay, what have I been spending my money on? And I think the best way to do it is to start by tracking everything that you're spending money on right now. Right. To actually grab receipts, to check your bank statements, and for you to track your spending. Now, the bank is always going to track your spending. They're, every time you swipe a card, every time you make a purchase, they, they do track what you're doing. But you don't want their tracking. You want your own tracking. You mm-hmm. want tracking that makes sense to you when you write it out either on paper or you type it into a computer sheet that you make for yourself or a budget tool that you decide to use. You begin tracking and you use that 30 days of your tracking where you've written everything down for 30 days. And that determines how much you make in a month and how much you spend in a month. Right. Yeah, it's so important because a lot of our expenses cycle on a month-to-month basis. We get our bills monthly. But we've talked about this before, David, that a budget is a yearly plan that we manage monthly according to categories. So, yes, even though your bank account may have these different uh, expenses that you're making – what you need is to have those expenses structured in a way that makes sense to you and gives you the information to make good financial decisions. I really like the way you lay that out, Leo, because your budget is really based on your values and your priorities. And so what you write down is going to be a little bit different than what I write down. And what Leo writes down is going to be different than what you write down. Yeah, I'm talking to you, the listener. So each person is going to be different. And for my wife and I, we literally just sat down and we said, okay, Let's track for 30 days and then let's see how much income we have, how much spending do we have. And when we look at the spending, let's begin to organize it in a way that makes sense to us. And so for us, we looked at the income number and the most important thing in our life was giving. And so we put giving at the very top and we started with 10% and then we went above the 10%, but we started by giving 10% of our income. And then we said, okay, once we've dealt with the giving category, The next biggest thing that popped into our mind was actually housing at the time because we were trying to figure out where we're going to live and how are we going to live there. Now, I would recommend or I would at least hope that you would think about putting savings as the second tab in your in your plan. But, uh, you know, then we looked at housing and then we looked at transportation and then we looked at recreation and you just go down your list of what is priority to you. But it's great to start with the income because then you know how much you can spend. And when you run out of money, you stop spending money. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And the other thing to consider is that when you're creating this budget, 
it's something that you're going to live by. So understand that it's going to take some time, but a good starting point is to find out where are you right now. So whatever you're building is actually going to be somewhat accurate. Where people fail, David, is that they put together a kind of a dream budget, but they don't know exactly how much they're making or they have a pretty good idea, but they're not really sure how that money's being spent. So so they just take their gross income or their net income and say, okay, I'm going to divide it up this way. And they put that on an Excel spreadsheet or on a piece of paper, but then that's as far as they go. And when they create their plan, it's nothing like that. When they're actually spending their money, it's nothing like that. So tracking those 30 days it's so important because it gives you a true picture of what's going on. Now you're starting a budget with actual accurate information of what's actually going on in your finances. Yeah. And when you look at your budget, I think there's one category that most of us uh, are not happy that we have in there, but a lot of people do have, and that's the debt category. And you're trying to figure out, okay, how much should I put towards debt? And there's this tendency to put it as the last budget item where it's like, okay, it's at the bottom and whatever's left over, I'll just throw at the debt. And the truth is, if you just leave it at the bottom, it's probably going to end up getting the least amount of attention and probably not actually putting enough towards that to aggressively attack it. So what Leo and I recommend is that you go download the debt snowball tool and you list all of your debts from smallest to largest. And then you see, okay, what are the minimum payments I need to make? Take a total of what's your total minimum payments and then use that tool to add in an extra $20 a month or $50 a month on top of those payments. When you add that money in, it causes you to pay off your debt dramatically faster. And if you use that tool, you'll see the numbers change. You'll see how much quicker you can pay it off. And so now you're motivated to lift that debt payment from the bottom of your budget to move it up to the top or a little bit higher so that it gets money every month, not just on the minimums, but oh, that extra 50 or that extra $100 a month causes me to pay off all my debts a year sooner, mm -hmm. two years sooner. So don't forget to budget for the debt that you've incurred and make a plan so you don't go further into debt. It's good. If you guys do need help with managing your money better and creating a budget or a debt repayment plan, go to leosabo.com and you can find a step-by-step -step videos there that will show you how to get your plan in place. That's great. So Leo, let's look at the next question. And it's one that I hear all the time from real estate agents, from construction folks, from self-employed people, from contractors. Leo, how do I budget with an irregular income? Mm, yeah, this is a question that we get quite often because people who are either self-employed or commission-based feel like they really don't know what they're going to make in the future. So it's hard for them to put a budget in place. Like how, how could they put a budget in place not knowing how much they're going to make? And if they do put a plan in place and they make less than that, then obviously it's not going to work. So it's a bit confusing. But here's the thing. Budgeting with irregular income is similar to budgeting with a regular income. The difference is how your income is brought into your budget. So if your income is irregular, you need to make it regular. How do you do that? You can do this by first setting your budget based on what your family needs. Just like the previous question that talked about how do I get started? Track your expenses for 30 days. Find out how much does my family need to live on? How much money are we actually spending? And then create your budget based on your average monthly income. So for instance, let's say you're self-employed and let's just assume last year you made $60,000. That's what you brought home. Well, that's $5,000 a month. So you can create your budget based on if you think, okay, I'm going to make either the same or more money this year, then set your budget for $5,000 per month and then begin to manage that money, tracking expenses, creating a budget based on that 5,000. Now, 
here's here's the important part. When you are earning, whatever you're earning above the $5,000, you put in a future income savings account. You open up a savings account, you call it future income, and whatever you make above 5,000, you put that into that account. And next month, let's say you make 7,000. That means 5,000 is used for the budget, 2,000 is put into this account. The following month, you make 8,000. You put 3,000 in that account and you use the five. You continue to do that and you build up a little bit of equity, a little bit of savings in there. And then next month or the month after or the month after when your income goes below that 5,000, because maybe you had less sales, maybe it was that season of the year where you're not making as much money. Now you can pull from that account. Now, for some of you are saying, well, that's great, but I'm probably going to start on on a month where I'm not making that 5,000. I understand it's challenging, but over time as you do this, you will have plenty of income and you'll actually build a surplus because most people, if they begin to manage this way, they're able to actually save that money and create their budget in such a way that when they make that extra income, they can capitalize on it. They can use it to pay down debt. They can do so much more. But right now, just because you guys are spending everything you're making, it's really difficult to see that surplus. But once you create a budget this way and have that monthly income, then it's easy to see the surplus and use it the right way. Yeah, that's great. You know, just like we talked about creating the plan in the first question and starting with what's most important to you. And for Ashley and I, that was giving. And then we moved on to housing and it's important to put savings in there. What you're going to do if you have irregular income is make that priority list. Only you're literally going to put a number by each category. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, giving is truly number one. And it's the first thing I'm going to do with any money that I get. Okay. Housing is absolutely number two. It's the second thing I'm going to do with any money that I get. And if you have a short month where you planned on making 5,000, but you really only made 4,000, well, you go down that budget list. Mm -hmm. And when you get to recreation, and it falls at number 10, and you only had enough money to get through nine categories, well, you stop and you don't have recreation that month. And so, you know, maybe your minimum debt payments go a little bit higher uh, so that it's in your top five things, but then paying extra towards your debt goes lower on the priority list. And so if you don't make your normal monthly income, then you don't do the extra debt payments this month. Right. But you've got that future income savings account that Leo talked about and any extra money that goes beyond the basics, uh, you then begin to set that aside and say, okay, the months that I'm short, now I've got extra because it's in my savings account titled future income. So you're planning for that to be your income in those off months. Yeah, that's perfect. Let's go on to the next question. David, is gambling wrong? Oh, wow. Uh, that's a big question. Um, there's some moral ambiguities in there and some basic strategic things in there as well. So let's take a stab at it. A lot of people that I talk to, they say that gambling is entertainment. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, this is this just, it's just how I entertain myself. I've yet to personally meet somebody who loses a boatload of money and then turns around and says, oh, that was entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never seen that either. Uh, the truth is, just in general, gambling is not a good idea. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, the saying is that the house always wins. Yes. Uh, when you look at things like lotteries, the payout rate is less than 2%. I mean, it's just, it's crazy low. When you go to casinos, 
you know, the house is set up so the house makes money. The house has a bigger house than you do, I guess is the way I would yes. look at it. Look how many shiny lights and how big the air conditioning bill and how large the building is that you're in versus the home that you live in and realize that the house always wins. So I think the real root of this question is, you know, is it morally wrong? Is it illegal? In some states, it actually is illegal, depending on the type of gambling you're doing. But, you know, you've got to ask the question, why gamble? Why do I want to do this? What's the reason behind um, me being motivated to go do something that, that logically everybody knows loses money right. over time, right. Right? right? So you've got to dig into that root. And I think that... In 90% of the cases, it boils down to one word, and that's a root of greed. Ouch. <laughs> There's something inside of us that wants to have uh, an incredible um, explosion of income quickly with a little bit of work. Mm-hmm. We want to pull the lever and see a lot of money come out, and we want to envision what it will be like when we're filthy rich and so, hey, I'll put a nickel in this slot machine, or I'll put a dollar in, or I'll put a five dollars. You know, it's just, it, it's one of those things that there is a root in my mind, there's a root of greed behind most gambling. Not all, I'm not condemning every single person, but there's this desire to get rich quick and to get something for nothing. And we're all born with that. I mean, honestly, you see a little kid playing with their toys and their neighbor comes over and picks up one of the toys. Well, the kid drops the toy he's playing with and runs over and picks up the, the table. Oh, I was playing with that. I was playing with that. And then, and then okay, the other child puts the toy, toy down and picks up another one. Oh, no, no. I was playing with that one, too. I was play- yeah, we have this, this natural greed and selfishness inside of us, and we want to get things easily for nothing. And unfortunately, that's really just not the way the world works. I say unfortunately. There's actually a lot of good things that come from working hard and then enjoying it. There's a lot of perseverance and personality and understanding that comes from working hard for something versus getting something for nothing. So maybe it is fortunate, actually, that we have to work so hard because there is a joy in that labor. So long term, any any type of gambling is not a good financial strategy. And also, this is a, I'm going out, out on left field here, but I talked to a guy probably six months ago now, and it was really interesting. He spent like four or five years as an online poker player and he had figured out the percentages if he if he completely buttoned down his emotions because when you're playing a game you can get emotional and make irrational decisions but if he buttoned down his decisions he figured that he could beat other online poker players uh, at about an 18 percent profit Like, I don't know exactly how he figured it out, but as long as he played a certain way, he was going to win 72% of the time. And as long as he won, you know, that extra 22% over 50, he was going to come out ahead. But there are days he lost big and there are days that he won big. This was interesting to me. I I spent two hours talking with him because I was just enthralled with that mindset. And I I thought it was really interesting. He was a numbers guy. He, He literally sat at the computer and played for five, six hours a day played four or five games at a time, and he had figured out the spread. The reason I bring this up is that one of the things that he ran into is that the people who manage the online gaming houses were not following the rules legally within the United States and for some of them in the states that they were operating in. And so they ended up getting shut down and having to freeze all of the accounts. Mm. And so, so one of the reasons I say this is that sometimes you can think you've figured out a way to win. Yep. 
and you can think, oh, I'm beating the system. But if you're in a in an industry like this, I think there's a pretty good chance that you've got more risk involved in the whole industry than you even realize. Right. Uh, and so he had at one point, now he, he played five, six, seven years, and his savings account was wrapped up in these different online brokerages. I think he had achieved, you know, $60,000, $70,000 in savings from his years of play. So just like somebody who also goes to work and earns $50,000 a year and saves five, six, seven thousand dollars $7,000 a year, his savings was in these accounts. And when they got frozen, all his assets were frozen. Wow. And so I, I only say that even as a, as a word of caution, it happened to two of the brokerages that he worked with. I'm calling them brokerages, but they're online houses that mm-hmm. allowed this to happen. And, and one of them, they were lending out money to players and they were extending themselves further than they had the ability to extend. And they were spending more on the infrastructure. And so they were taking in less and paying out more and it caused the government system to catch and say, there's a problem here. And they froze those assets and because it wasn't being managed well. So just be, be careful. When you're in a gambling industry, not only are the odds against you, but I would say that the industry probably is not always being run by the most moral people because anybody that feels really comfortable taking, taking gambling winnings, um, <laughs> yeah, if somebody feels comfortable being the house and just... In my mind, it's almost like highway robbery. It is not, but it, you know, in many states, it's legal. So I'm not here to judge somebody that runs that. But you know, anybody that that has unscrupulous morals and gets into that business is going to end up tanking other parts of the industry and causing problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope that's not too aggressive, but I hope you realize that it's a scary place to be. Yeah, and and I had to make a decision on this years ago, and I got some advice about the just the gambling industry and what it was doing, and I got a perspective that I'd like to share with our listeners, and that is that if you consider who plays the lottery and who actually goes and plays in these casinos and these boat uh, gambling boats that you can get on. In some states, you have to be off of uh, land in order to gamble, all those things that they try to get around to make this possible. If you think about who is actually targeted and who these people are that typically gamble, and gamble not just a dollar here and there when the Powerball is hitting crazy numbers, but they gamble on a consistent basis. And these are folks that could afford it the least. And unfortunately, they're just not in a financial position to be gambling. But to them, it's a lifeline. They think about it as an opportunity to to spend a little bit of money here. And like you said, possibly some greed, possibly this idea of you know, getting out of the rat race, so to speak, and maybe even getting out of the slum. Some people may be in those situations where they're just destitute financially. And they think about this being their way out. And I had to make a decision whether I wanted to support whether it's a state lottery or some kind of gambling organization that enslaves so many people. Because Mm. honestly, I've been to these places. I have gambled. I can't sit here as a hypocrite and say I've never done it. I have done it. And and because I did it and I saw the atmosphere, and I even saw the reaction that I had and my wife had as we did this, uh, I recognized that there was something unhealthy about it. For us, it was something very unhealthy for us. I remember we went to Vegas. When I first started working for American and I had flight benefits, we took a weekend trip. And we went to Vegas. Actually, no, I'm sorry. It was just a one-day trip. So we left in the morning, came back at night. And we gambled all day. We were there with some friends. And we had about, we decided $200 we're going to take out in cash and we're going to gamble for two for one day. And we didn't run out of the money. It took us most of the day to lose all that money. But at the end, we were literally down to just a few nickels. And I remember sitting in the, in one of the casinos in Las Vegas and, and having an argument with my wife over change to play the, in the slot machines. And I won't say who was 
wanting to play who was it that's not the point the point is we are arguing over gambling yeah and i thought wait a minute when did this stop being fun when did it became something unhealthy and the taste of that made me feel like i don't want to support this kind of industry and i certainly don't want to be involved in it and we've never gambled since i don't condemn people that do we just came to that conclusion on our own that uh, an industry that enslaves so many we just didn't want to be part of it yeah and and it's built to be attractive and addictive. Mm -hmm. It's it's built to draw you in and cause you to want to keep playing, to say, okay, no, I'm only going to do $200, but, but just 50 more, but just 50 more. Oh, I get another, you know, $25 of free house credits. Okay, another 50. You know, it, it's built to, to draw you in. It's dr built to make you think I can get there. Uh, I can win. I can, I can hit it big. And I understand. I understand the draw uh, of that. Personally, I've never gone and, and gambled in that way. Yes, I have have gotten together with friends and done a ten dollar you know poker buy in in my early twenties. And yeah, I'm not here to here here to judge, but I just want you to be aware of the attitudes that come out of that and some of the the things that can draw you into a lifestyle or something that you're really not going to be happy with long term. So just be very aware. I wouldn't necessarily say that it's always illegal or immoral, but I'd say that it's something I would probably not not spend any time in personally. <laughs> okay, that's good. So Leo, you know, kind of on that same vein, the next question came in and it's this whole idea of, okay, how do I avoid these get rich quick schemes? Because they're so attractive. They sound so fun. How mm -hmm. do I avoid that? How do I, how do I keep myself from falling for that? That's, that's a great question. And actually it leads in right from the previous question, because it is again at the bottom of this get rich quick scheme is always greed. It's this desire, like you said, David, is that we want to we want to get something for nothing. We don't want to work all our life to have a small retirement. We want to have a few million dollars right now while we're young enough to enjoy it. And so there's a temptation to when when somebody makes us uh, a plea or or a deal comes up along that just sounds so good. We're like, man, this will this will take my 30 year journey of getting wealthy to like two years. This is going to be amazing. So so it's it's this greed, it's desire to get there fast that makes us buy into it. But you know, Solomon, one of the wisest and richest persons that ever lived, actually said something about this. He said, if you plan and work hard, you will have plenty. But if you get in a hurry, you will end up poor. So don't get in a hurry. You don't want to be poor. Becoming wealthy takes time. And that's okay, because here's the thing. When you become wealthy, you don't just gain the money. You gain the knowledge to have the money, but also to keep the money so you don't lose it. See, a lot of folks who get rich quick end up losing it quick because they don't have the financial wisdom or the financial knowledge to be able to know what to do with it. And I believe it takes time to build wealth. If you do it the right way, it takes time because you also need the knowledge to be able to keep from losing it. And the best way to avoid get rich quick schemes is doing the following. Never invest in anything you don't understand fully, right? We talked about this in when we talked about investing. Don't invest in something you don't understand and never believe in an investment that has no downside. Folks, there's no such thing. Risk is part of every investment. You know why? Because no one knows the future. You never trust someone solely because uh, of their word. I don't care how well you think you know them. Uh, too many people have been duped into getting rich quick schemes because they trusted without verifying the information they were given. And I, I remember years ago sitting down with a couple who had earned, I don't know, three, four hundred thousand dollars uh, in their retirement account. The husband did at his job. And when he retired, he had the option to take it out as a lump sum. And there was a person that was selling some really, really risky and 
slightly immoral um, investments, and they bought into it because of the profit um, potential. It was just this, man, you're going to make 17, 18, 20%. And they sold it as if it was a, a no-loss type of situation. They were going to make money no, no matter what. Well, about four years into it, they not only could not maintain because they had to continue to make payments on this investment, that they, they stood to, to literally lose by defaulting. They were going to lose the whole investment that they put in. And this was their life savings. And what they ended up having to do was I gave them some counsel, and I said, go back, beg, borrow, do whatever you got to do, get them to let you out of this thing. And uh, fortunately, they were able to do that uh, and gain uh, probably about 80% of their money back. But still, I mean, they lost because they took this gamble. And whatever profit they thought they were going to make, they made nothing. They actually, it cost them more money by putting this money in. Yeah, you've got to be extremely aware. Um, we've seen in the news Ponzi schemes where a really good salesman will sell uh, investments that, that are doubling you know, every two years or they have a 20% return. And, and there's, this, there's this idea that this is going to be a phenomenal investment. But the way that it works is they sell one or two people and then they actually make good on the promise to those first couple people. And then they have those people sell it to others. Mm -hmm. And then they actually use that next layer of people to fund the initial people and make it look like they're getting great rate of return. And it, and it all looks good on paper. They're saying, no, no, on, on this paper, you are made 20%, you've made 20%, but they're actually spending the money somewhere else. So you can't even always trust just a friend who heard from a friend, mm -hmm. because usually that first round of people has been completely manipulated and they do have access to the cash. And it seems legitimate uh, because the Ponzi scheme is set up on making that first layer of people look like they're doing well because they sell it to more people. Mm -hmm. And then whoever's over that scheme is actually stealing from each person involved. And they're just keeping a few people looking really profitable. And they'll tell you you're profitable. But if you go to grab the money, they're having to steal from others to fund it because they aren't actually making the money they say they're making. So just be, be very aware of Ponzi schemes. Be very aware of multi-level marketing situations. Mm -hmm. And the reason I mention this is, is just the, the motivation uh, behind it, that, that greed leads to manipulation. Yes. And that's what I hate. If you smell manipulation in any way, just get out of there because you don't want to be in business with people who manipulate. Uh, you know, if, if, the, if you sit down and they say, hey, I've got a great opportunity for you. Okay. Hey, what is it? Tell me about it. Well, I can't tell you about it. I need to introduce you to my mentor. Mm -hmm. Well, why can't you tell me about the opportunity? Right. Do you not understand it? No, no, I, <laughs> I understand. It's changing my life. Yeah. And I want it to change your life. Okay, well, tell me about it. No, no, no. Talk to my mentor. Yeah. There's manipulation. What sure. you know? Tell me what you know. And if it's really that good, then walk me into it. Just be honest. Right. Uh, okay, okay. Well, it's not actually, you know, this is just, it's a, if we just want to learn together and grow together. It's, it's just a group of friends that are, that are doing cool stuff together. Well, what are we doing? Well, I'll, I'll, you know, when you come to this group and I'll show you. No, tell me right now what you're doing. Like, don't manipulate me to try to get me to go somewhere to see something because that manipulation, what it does is it puts you in front of somebody, usually the, the quote unquote mentor, who's really good at selling mm -hmm. and who, again, if there's already a spirit of man manipulation there, they're going to use manipulation that that mentor, that leader, that sales person is going to sell you and they're going to use all the tricks of the trade. And there's a ton of great sales techniques to get you excited in the moment. 
and that manipulation is going to draw you in again. Mm-hmm. And now you're stuck in a group of people who manipulate for a living. Not every multi-level marketing plan is done that way. Uh, there's some actually very legitimate ways to do multi-level marketing. It's just people selling other people on products they believe and love. If you truly believe in it, then tell me what the product is. Yeah. yeah if you truly no believe in it, explain have, it to me. <laughs> yeah, there's no reason to have all this yeah. secrecy and, hey, let me get somebody on the call and he's going to walk you through yeah, the bottom line, guys, is know your motive for investing. I think a lot of these schemes and Ponzi schemes or get-rich-quick schemes can be avoided if you just understand your motives and keep those in front of you. Uh, whenever you're faced with one of these, look look deep down and say, okay, is this stroking that greed inside of me that I know all of us have? Um, and is it potentially going to lead me down a path where I'm going to make a decision that's going to that's going to be very painful for me? Because if you don't understand your reason and your reason, by the way, if your reason for investing is greed, it doesn't matter how much money you make, you'll never be satisfied. So that cannot be your reason. So if greed is your reason, you need to find a better reason. We invest for the purpose of having a healthier, uh, better life to provide for our family, hopefully leave something for our children or for our children's children, and just be a good citizen, bringing value along with what we're offering to people, not just making money off of people. And if anything that you're involved in begins to smell like it's not that, or it takes you down a path where you're thinking, gosh, this is going to take me or make me something else, or gosh, when it gets to that point, you just want to stop and say, wait, let's get back to the motive. The motive for investing is to get my family to a better place. And there's always a downside. So don't don't buy into anything that says, oh, it's always rosy. It's always perfect. Nothing's ever going to go down. Understand your risk and take that risk, but do it with eyes wide open. Uh, as David said, make sure you understand it. Uh, if the person's saying, well, I, you got to talk to this person and this person, this person's going to be. No, if they don't understand it, they shouldn't be doing it. And certainly shouldn't be telling you about it. You should be questioning that friendship at that point. So, and just avoid it. Keep your heart in check and just make sure that you're you're doing it in a way that's going to lead to financial health long term and there's no reason for you to take huge risks yeah know your investment plan understand the motivations behind your investment and realize that investing is a really good thing for a number of reasons. One, you're choosing not to spend money today, so you're setting it aside, which means that you're learning to delay gratification. Mm -hmm. So one, an investment is a great act to learn to delay your own gratification. Two, if you invest in something, let's say you invest in a company or a business, you are helping that business to grow. You're pouring capital or cash into that business so that it can buy more product to serve more people. So a lot of times an investment is going to serve someone else because you have given them the cash to go make more money with that cash. If you invest in your own education, then you enrich your life and you can potentially make more money over time. If you invest in your own business, well, you're going to take that business and go serve people with that business. So that investment ends up serving people. Realize that investing, in my mind, it's a great for so many reasons because you're going to serve others through that. And over time, you've delayed gratification and you profit from it. So That's great advice. Thanks, David. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our podcast. You can find us on iTunes or Google Play Music. You can also subscribe using Stitcher for Android or your favorite podcast app. Subscribing will automatically update you with the latest episode each week, and it will make it easier for more people to find and benefit from this podcast. We'd also appreciate a five-star review of our podcast. Please take a moment to do that. And last, please share this podcast on your favorite social media platform with your friends and family. 
You can find the show notes of this episode and more content and resources at leosabo.com. We look forward to having you join us next time so that together we we can can keep keep getting getting money money right. right. thought, wait a minute, when did this stop being fun? When did it became something unhealthy? And the taste of that made me feel like oh, I don't want to support this kind of industry and I certainly don't want to be involved in it. And we've never gambled since. And we don't condemn people that do. We just came to that conclusion on our own that uh, an industry that enslaves so many, we just didn't want to be part of it. Mm-hmm.